Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, Alberta's been in the spotlight for much of COP28. The province sent the biggest delegation in Canadian history at COP. It also received a Fossil of the Day award by the Climate Action Network. That's not a good thing. We welcome three Albertans who attended the UN Climate Change Convention to this episode to find out why they went, what they said and saw there, and what they hope comes of it all. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We're taking you behind the scenes of COP28. In this edition of the Real Talk Roundtable, want to welcome you to the show. In 30 seconds or so, we're going to head to Dubai. We're going to welcome uh, a real talker into studio. She's just back from Dubai. Plus, in about 20 minutes from now, we're going to head over to Norway as we catch up with three Canadians, three Albertans that have spent the last week or so talking about climate change and what humans can do on an individual level, on an industry level, on political levels to combat that threat. This a very special presentation of that Real Talk Roundtable that's made possible by our friends at Rello. And they have a really focused and pointed message for you today, and it is this. If you have been taking a look at everybody that loves their job, if you've been taking a look at people that wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and if you're honest with yourself, that's just not you, you're going to want to check out Rello.ca. That's R-E-L-O.ca. You can launch a rewarding career in real estate. Shake things up with Rello's affordable online courses that make it easy to pass your exam and get your real estate license so you can run your own business, set your own hours, and be your own boss. Plus, what everybody that works in real estate loves about it, the earning potential is unlimited, and you're helping people every day as they buy or sell their homes. The best part about Rello is how committed they are to your success. They've got live instructors who host online exam prep sessions every Saturday and a ton of resources to help you launch your real estate business well after you've passed the exam and gotten licensed. And right now, a great incentive. They're dangling a carrot for Real Talkers. You can save 20% off any Rello course with the code REALTALK. That's one word, REALTALK at Rello.ca. We're talking about COP28 today, and we're going to explore this from a number of different angles with Sean Collins, Sharon Morin, and Dr. Joe Vipont. Uh, Sharon is a project coordinator with Women of the Métis Nation, and she is one of the United Nations knowledge keepers that was represented at COP28 in Dubai. She's just back, like I mean just back hours ago, joining us in studio. It's so nice to see you here. Thank you for making time for us. I'm so happy to be here. What an adventure it's been for you. A real adventure. A yeah. real adventure. We're yeah. going to get into the stories. We're going to get into the role that you uh, were representing there, and it sounds like you were uh, spending time with really some incredible people. Yes. Let's loop in Dr. Joe as well. Uh, uh, Albertans know Dr. Joe Vipond. He's an emergency doctor in Calgary, Alberta, the past president of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, the co-founder of the Calgary Climate Hub. During COVID, he co-founded Masks for Canada and Protect Our Province, Alberta, and he's joining us from Dubai. Dr. Vipon, welcome to the show. It's very good to see your face. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I understand you stepped out of a, a commitment to be here, um, an opportunity to check in with a whole bunch of other people. What's happening as we speak at COP28? Uh, there's just, a, you know, one of the great things about COP is gathering people who have similar interests who want to change the world. So today, tonight, the Canadian Climate Institute is hosting its networking event. So but you guys are important too. Well, we love it. We won't keep you too long. I'll let both of you know that uh, Sean Collins is going to join us from Norway coming up in about 20 minutes. Everybody's got different availability, and we're grateful that everyone's made made time for us. Um, Sharon, you're heading over there in an interesting capacity as a United Nations, as a UN knowledge keeper. How did you find yourself in that role, and, and, and what were you expected to do, or what were you bringing to the table at COP? Well, through my work at uh, Women of the Métis Nation, or we La Femme Chifota Pimsawak, I wasn't going to make you say that. <laughs> um, uh, I sit on uh, two different environmental tables with the Métis National Council and the different governing bodies from a, across the, the country. And there was uh, a nomination process, and they nominated me. Um, I'm kind of the unofficial auntie to all of them because they're all very young. And the role that I play in the knowledge that I hold, they nominated me, and I was accepted to be. 
So you go over there and, and you find yourself working alongside and sitting on panels alongside I- indigenous people from around the world. Is that correct? Yes, around the world. I uh, had breakfast pretty much every morning with two uh, women from Papua New Guinea. Um, there was Anne from Borneo that laughed at me all the time when I had my hand fan with me because I was always so hot. Um, the elder that was from Chile that did the Four Directions prayer, and we do a Four Directions prayer. Um, there was youth from Mexico, from Bangladesh, all indigenous people, Africa, from everywhere. It was amazing. Did you find, as you learned from one another and, and brought these perspectives to, to obviously, you know, probably the, the biggest climate forum on planet Earth, uh, were there common themes when it came to indigenous knowledge from, from different communities, from different countries around the world? Oh, yeah. We're all very similar. And we're all usually the ones that are first impacted, too. In cl- by climate change because we live rural, a lot of us. So the practices that we've had for you know generations and generations are very similar. The the spirituality they have, we have the connections to the land. That's the thing that Indigenous people have is the, the relationship with Mother Earth. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, we'll hear more about this mm-hmm. in, in a bit. Joe, it's, it, it makes sense, obviously, that, that someone like you, an emergency doctor, people understand your, your advocacy and your activism. I think, it, you know, with masks, it's self-explanatory why you would care so much um, climate change you can certainly make the argument that everybody should care about climate but this is I mean you do a ton of work on this I mean this is a, a big part of of every week uh, for you uh, how do you wind up at cop tell us a bit about your journey well I, I resisted coming here for many years I my my other past president Courtney Howard dr. Courtney Howard from Yellowknife was has been going every year since um, Paris and has been inviting me every year so, Joe you got to come here you got to come here and um, finally, I agreed to, to go last year, and I saw what a difference we could make by being on the ground, interacting with people, uh, very different um, from you know, trying to do it from your computer at home. Just that face-to-face interaction and that ability to engage with others on the ground is, is invaluable. So did you head over there with a specific mandate? I mean, if we're going to say we're going to talk about climate change, I mean, there's a million angles of approach there. Did you go over there with a specific focus? I have three hats. So the three hats that I wear, uh, as you probably remember, I was involved in the Alberta and Canadian coal phase out. So those were really amazing events uh, to to get rid of coal in Alberta. Our last coal is going to be to... Uh, burnt next year in about June. That's about seven years ahead of schedule. But when we started the coal phase out, it was going to be 2051 when the last coal was going to be burned. So we've really uh, did a great job there. And so I want to share that knowledge with other countries, um, how to do that, how to engage your physician population. Um, the second hat I wear is just with health. This is the first uh, cop ever to have a health day and so the idea or the concept of climate change being a health crisis as well as a climate crisis is just starting to get out there and so uh, as a physician I'm part of the Global Climate and Health Alliance and CAPE um, and so that was uh, uh, very key for me to be there and then finally you know there's not a lot of us on the ground at COP that are there to counter the Alberta and Saskatchewan narrative that we just need to keep burn, burn, burning our fossil fuels. And so we have quite a few indigenous peoples that were on the ground. Um, but for from civil society, I know of only one other person from Alberta that, that was, was there during the last week. So, um, you know, as you probably know, Daniel Smith brought a 100 plus people uh, to cop in order to push this narrative and and we just felt we needed some resistance some counter narrative to that well I, and i'm one of one of the reasons why and, and we've been exploring and talking about cop from from a number of different angles of course as well but the purpose of this roundtable is to bring together three people particularly from alberta and to ask about your experience and your perspective and what you heard and what you saw so so when dr vipon there says to counter the Alberta and Saskatchewan narrative, Sharon, you immediately started nodding your head. Why did that resonate with you so strongly? Because every time that they're in a session, we make sure that we have Indigenous representation within those audiences. There were She brought more delegates with her in her Alberta delegation than there were Indigenous people on the ground. So that says a lot. 
Um, but yeah, there was um, our youth, especially, or, and they're all, but they were in every session. So, did you witness anything, or did you see something where you felt that there was a narrative being pushed from a prairie delegate or from a, a prairie representative there, or maybe even specifically in Albertan, that something that maybe you specifically took issue with? Well, I sat in on one of the sessions, and she had um, uh, Dick. I can't remember his last name, and there was her. Um, I sent the picture of the the panels, but it was very much like the moderator was very much her friend, and it was very directed. And when you looked at the audience, a few of us had snuck in, but most of it was her people. There were two questions that were allowed, and they didn't answer. Uh, have the one of the girls put her hand up right away. They wouldn't ask any or answer any questions from the indigenous. People. What was the theme of that presentation? That what they were talking about coal and they were she was talking about how our electric buses are working so well in Edmonton and when I'd left I'd heard a report that our buses weren't working that well um, she talked about how Alberta has been ahead of the game for a long time when it comes to carbon capturing and so forth yeah. and it was yeah it was uh, it was interesting I mean you know she's a great speaker you know she knows her stuff she had all her notes there she was reading while they were talking and everything like that but um, it just was very cold and not yeah not and then at the end when she was leaving she had lots of security with her like big security guys yeah blocking your way understandable yeah and I so I was I think it was her communications guy and I was like is there a chance I could shake my premier's hand I said she's my premier right and so they got me in there to shake the hand her hand and when I told her who I was and the role that I had and that I was the Albertan and I was the only Métis person to ever do that she said she just shook my hand like she did Justin Trudeau's and said oh that's so nice mm. and walked away I see so you felt slighted very slighted Dr. Joe, did you uh, have an experience there or have you had a number of experiences where you saw a, a quote-unquote Alberta perspective represented that, that you were at odds with or something that you felt that you had to counter? Well, I mean, she presented at a number of different forums. The, the, the main ones were the Saskatchewan Pavilion and um, the Canadian Pavilion. And then there was this third pavilion called the Clean Resource Innovation Network, CRIN, um, uh, pavilion and one of the interesting things about that pavilion is you don't notice the words Canadian or oil and gas in that pavilion's name but that's essentially what it was was a pavilion bought for by Canadian oil and gas to present their narrative um, so I was at her first presentation and it was on engaging indigenous peoples in uh, energy projects which sounds great right like we I, I would totally agree. We need to have more Indigenous participation. Um, but this uh, effort is focused to this point only on oil and gas uh, and, and coal. Like they, they have five projects. All of them are fossil fuel based. And she comes to COP kind of asking the people to celebrate that. And you know what? We're, 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 I don't know if you remember how bad this summer was. Ryan, but it was bad, you know, like shit's going down. Um, we, we have uh, record temperatures. We have record forest fires, um, hailstorms that are, are devastating communities. Um, it, it's a really worrisome time. And uh, the narrative that we could just keep on doing what we're doing uh, just doesn't fly anymore at a climate conference. So I was I'm, I'm I'm a little surprised, Doc, to hear that this was the first cop that there was ever a health day. Um, and, and every once in a while, my job requires me to ask a dumb question. Uh, but but I think maybe you'll shine some new light on it. So here's the dumb question. When you're talking about the health impacts of climate change, what are they? What are we talking about? I, I think everybody understands air quality. I think everybody understands that, th that there were folks that were busting out their pandemic era masks uh, for different reasons this summer uh, because the impact of those wildfires was horrific across the country. I mean, they were, they were reporting on it in Boston that the Alberta and BC fires were impacting air quality in Massachusetts and beyond. But, but what are some of the other angles? What, where, where did some of that conversation go? Is there maybe something that the general uh, civilian like me might not think about? Well, it wasn't that long ago, June 2021, when we had over 60 people die in Alberta from the heat dome. Do you remember yeah, that? Like yeah, people roasting, literally cooking 
in their apartments. 60 in Alberta, over 600 in BC. That was uh, Canada's worst weather-related mortality event ever. Um, and that's we're going to have a lot more of that coming down, down the pipe. Um, so that's another one. And then, of course, we have uh, diseases like Lyme disease and dengue, which are spreading into different areas because they're the, the bugs that transmit them are, are able to live in bigger areas now that the climate is changing. There's um, all these recurrent internally displaced people, whether it's from wildfires, whether it's from floods, whether it's from hurricanes, where people are forced out of their homes and living in other places that most recently, you probably remember, uh, you know, the the tens of thousands of people from Yellowknife that were forced down to Edmonton and Calgary. And that not only impacts their health, but of course, they come into our um, cities and we have to find space for them and put them up. Um, it's a challenge. Uh, and then food security uh, was just yesterday. I was reading about how uh, horrible the, the wheat um, harvest was this year in, in Alberta. We're seeing these recurrent harvest events across the world. And um, so food security is a huge issue. You don't think of it as health, but, you know, I really like to eat. I eat almost every day. Um, <laughs> and so it's really important to me. Um, and then finally, there's mental health impacts yeah. like uh uh, eco-anxiety, eco-grief, and the post-traumatic stress disorder of watching your house or your community go up in flame. These are all like incredibly important things to focus on. Did you get the sense that, I mean, for the most part, I mean, people are talking about Al Alberta's delegation and, and people are saying, you know, like there, there's a lot of people there that don't even buy into the science that's being discussed, et cetera. But generally speaking at COP, is it is it a receptive audience to some of the health concerns, Joe, that, that you and other physicians and health advocates are talking about? Yeah, we had 130 countries sign on to the health declaration. That's incredible out of out of 197. Um, and for the first time ever having a health day, uh, you know, wandering around talking to people, I, I wore my scrub top and my stethoscope a couple of days and people automatically are um, interested in finding out what what is happening. Why are doctors here? Um, so I, I would say it was a, a resounding success. And now that that um, cat's out of the bag, you're not going to be able to put it back in. You know, the, the, the health method message is going to be resonating. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Sharon, was there like throughout the conference with these uh, these UN knowledge keepers? You're talking about these indigenous people re representing, uh, you know, backgrounds and, and cultures and, and different traditions from around the world uh, through millennia, obviously. An opportunity to, to talk about a platform um, to talk about things like indigenous traditions around land management and, th and those types of things. Yeah, the sessions that I were in were <clears throat> we were given four talk or four um, four four different topics. And um, it was around the different things that happened. And I talked about food sovereignty and food security within our communities and the idea that you can't hunt and fish the way you used to. And actually, I had Chief Adam in my brain a lot. You're talking I, about Chief Alan Adam. Yeah, yeah. When I was up there, I thought of him a lot. And what, the Curl Lake thing that had just been... Uh, let go in the news again, you know. And yeah, people like want to Google it. Athabasca chip on yeah, First Nation. Yeah. yeah, so they were the ones that were really in my brain, and I just um, it was it was it was recurring. Everybody talked about that. Everybody talked mental health. Um, they talked about the the loss of and the grief from it, and so they're grieving as well, right? So there there was a huge um, and then the youth. Um, the youth uh, panel, they talked about um, their mental health and how, like, 2050 is in their, you know, living lifetime, you know, and the, 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 um, the insecurity and the, the unknowingness of it is, is really playing on them. There, you, I, you have young people there. The, the young people are amazing, and our delegation is very young, and the stresses that they take on is just unbelievable. Um, it's so good to have young people involved in this. It is. Like, it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but it doesn't always happen. No, and they you know? need to be there. And, like, we had people there that were under, like, the youth that came with me, she's 23. And she wrote about going to COP when she was in high school, and she's from northern Alberta. 
and they carry this stuff with them. They see it's what happens in their communities. A hundred percent. I'm just, as, as you're talking, I'm remembering, uh, here's a shameless plug for our show. You know, there's going to be a few of those, obviously. Uh, you remember our round table? I think, it, I think it was April 21st of last year. Off the top of my head, it was right around Earth Day. It was the Friday closest to Earth Day, if people want to search the archives. But, but uh, the, the title episode is How to Save Planet Earth. And in that episode, it was a, a Real Talk round table uh, where we welcomed... Uh, Dr. Gina Martin out of Athabasca University, Nicole Rycroft, who's the founder of Canopy, and uh, Justin Reimer, who's the CEO of Emissions Reduction Alberta. But the point is, Dr. Martin is doing a, a bunch of amazing research out of Athabasca University on the impact of climate change on youth mental health, teen mental health in particular. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Vipon, you talk about the, the mental health impacts and that I think you said eco-anxiety um, but that's a real thing. I know, I know that there are cynics out there. We address the cynics on the show that scoff at this type of thing, that think it's a joke. They think that everybody's being soft these days. Uh, but it really is a thing, and it's manifesting itself. Like, Sharon, you just said 2050. For young people, 2050 is not some faraway no. year that they're never going to see. 26 years. You know, yeah. it's 26 years from yeah. now. It's when their kids are going to be born yes. uh, for some of them, right? Yeah. So it's a completely different perspective that they're bringing to the table. Did you have a lot of young people in your orbit out there? Or have you seen young people in, 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 in sort of the health field with colleagues out there, Joe? Yeah, it's the medical students, right? The International Federation of, Medi- uh, International Federation of Medical Students Association, IFMSA, uh, are amazing, and they always have a strong contingent out here um, pushing it. We did some actions, actually. We, um, I had brought a, a inflatable globe, uh, like a beach ball globe, and we were doing CPR in our white coats and our stethoscopes. I'll stethoscopes, say something and about it was that. Actually a, yeah, it was a powerful image uh, for the media. <laughs> it wow. was, and as we're walking by and they're doing it, I'm with uh, one of the great-grandmother Mary Lyons from Wisconsin, and she said, the earth should be giving us uh, uh, giving us uh, heart palpitations because the earth is, we're not going to die. Or we're going to die. The earth is going to live. The earth is, planet earth will be just fine. She'll be just fine. It's humans on it's, planet yeah, earth. Yeah, so she thought it should have been reversed, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah fair <laughs> enough. Uh, listen, we, we have our, our third uh, panelist that's set to join us live from Norway in just a second. So Dr. Joe, if you need to top up your, no, not a coffee, it's the evening for you out there. You need to top up your yeah, gin, top up your gin okay. soda, whatever you're doing. We'll be back with you in just a quick second. Uh, and Sharon Morin hanging out with us in studio. We'll be back with Sean Collins in just a second. This conversation is made possible by the support of real talk partners like our friends at kubi renewable energy you want to get serious about addressing climate change in your own backyard literally why not look to kubi to see what they can do to help you advance your renewable energy goals you know powering your front yard this time of year to inflate the neighborhood illuminate the neighborhood you got that big santa going maybe you got all these lights you know with so many residents relying entirely on energy providers the chance of power outages only increase don't forget that winter storms can roll in in a hurry Plus, on top of that, you've got drivers hitting power poles, harsh weather conditions, increased demand on the grid, all increasing the risk of outage. Be prepared for grid outages with Tesla Powerwalls. They've got the Tesla Powerwall home energy system. By installing a home battery at your residence, you too can be prepared for winter courtesy of Kubi Renewable Energy. Our friends at Athabasca University want to remind you of the opportunity that lies in wait at Canada's open university. They know that there are barriers facing folks who would love to pursue a post-secondary career. They've got the dream of earning a degree or taking part in that course that'll better prepare them for the job market, but they don't have the ability to commute to a brick-and-mortar university. They don't have the schedule that allows for the rigid inflexibility of some other universities. That is not the case at AU. You custom design your educational journey whenever and wherever it works for you. You can learn more about applying at AthabascaU.ca. You know, we're talking a lot about increasing our contribution to planet Earth, decreasing the size of our environmental footprint. A big shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. We've been telling you this week, because this is really exciting, about the certification that they have earned. This is a BMO Climate Smart certification, and they are the only disaster restoration company in the province of Alberta to have achieved this, the only one. It means that they've made a significant commitment to recycling the materials that they're taking off job sites. Whether sites are burned out or flooded, the majority of these materials typically go to landfills. 
not when complete care restorations on the job they're recycling an average of get this 71 percent of all materials taken off demolition sites you can learn more about what they do by visiting completecarerestoration.ca we're hanging out with dr joe vipond and sharon morin both of them dr joe at cop right now sharon's just back and our next guest sean collins who's rounding out our real talk roundtable joins us from norway where he's mid way home he was in dubai and he's now on some personal family time sean we're grateful that you're making a few minutes available for us for those that don't know you uh, a serial entrepreneur deeply passionate about accelerating the sustainable energy transition uh, sean is currently the ceo of varma uh varma energy which is north america's first specialized waste to energy with carbon capture and storage asset developer varma is creating a landfill free carbon free future for garbage uh, sean thanks for joining us from norway why don't you tell us what took you to cop 28 did you go over there with a, a specific mandate in mind were you on a specific focused mission yeah thanks so much for having me appreciate uh the audience um was over in dubai uh representing barma i uh, got invited to speak on a panel um uh titled uh, alberta's royal flush on global decarbonization and so I had a speaking gig and then overall objective was to meet with investor prospects and really for us uh, poke into some of the uh, carbon market opportunities to get a sense of pricing and um, buying buyer interest in the carbon credit market. And so that's a pretty wonderful trip. Do you have like when you when you talk about entrepreneurs that are innovators or what is what is the uh, outlook like for you? Do you have to convince people in the validity of the technology? Are, are, are most people even aware of what you're doing? Where, where are you at right now with your industry? Yeah, in the world, there's there's 2,000 plus waste energy facilities in the world. So uh, in terms of validity, like fully proven dollar <laughs> uh, industry already. So not something that requires uh, necessarily proof that it's a new whiz bang technology, uh, more so around it's a, it's a market challenge. Uh, uh, waste incinerators exist all over the world. It's around making the cost of the can you get the waste prices, the energy prices, and for us, the carbon credit prices all to be enough to justify building an asset. And um, uh, so overall for us, uh, that was a big focus. So when when you're at COP, uh, can you talk to us about the types of conversations you have? Some people have described it for, for industry people as more of a trade show than a climate conference. How, how did it land with you or how did you perceive it to be? Yeah, yeah. For me, this I've only been to two cops. I was I was fortunate to be part of COP twenty one in Paris to see the signing of the Paris Agreement, and then this was my first time going since then. Um, the big difference between the two, for sure, uh, uh, COP twenty one felt uh, exclusively focused around the negotiation, the text of the negotiations, where we going to sign it. Uh, the whole thing seemed to be very driven around the, the uh, negotiations and the agreement. This one felt different. This one felt like hundred thousand people there there was 80 plus buildings all just jam-packed with people uh and so yeah a little bit more fun and chaotic and um, really dynamic in terms of the networking opportunities so different events for sure but this one uh, uh just tremendous amount of like private industry government nonprofit sort of felt like everyone and anybody and everybody involved in the energy transition was there yeah i want to ask all three about this maybe dr joe we'll start with you but it, it sounds like everybody's kind of siloed in a way which is i guess to be understandable to a certain degree considering how many people are there and, and how many subjects are being discussed um but but joe did you get the sense is it like the folks that are talking about health or are way over on this campus or, or way over in this building and then the entrepreneurs are over here and then the indigenous knowledge keepers are way over here or is there is there enough mixing and mingling that that maybe you know the health experts are getting in the ear of the policymakers? who are there standing beside the entrepreneurs? Like, how, how does it actually work out? Oh, it's so good. It's so good because everybody who's there cares about this. And I don't know, like, I, I love my neighbors. I love my, my friends in Calgary, but we don't really have those deep discussions about important things in the world. And, and then you go to Dubai or to COP, and you're surrounded by people that care deeply about the world. And that's just so inspiring. So, like, for example, I'm hanging around... Ariel Deranger, who's an um, Indigenous uh, climate action uh, hero uh, here. And then I'm meeting up with Senator Galvez, who's the, 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 the Canadian senator who really, really has deep caring for, 
for um, for the climate. And then I get to hang around with Dr. Kathleen Ross, who's the president of the CMA. And then we're meeting with Minister Guibault. Uh, and then I'm meeting with the the president of the, the Pathways Alliance, the, the oil and gas um, company. So, I mean, the, the amount of mixing and sharing of ideas is really unsurpassed in the world. And if I may just um, mention, there's going to be people who are saying, yeah, but 90,000 people flying to a, a, a climate conference. What a what a waste of GHGs. I mean, this is how things get done. You need to be face-to-face. You can't do everything on Zoom meetings. I would much prefer seven or 90,000 people flying to COP than, than you know, that's one and a half Taylor Swift con- um, concerts, and people are flying to those all the time. So uh, maybe we need to focus our, our efforts on, on on using flight for for good rather than for, for yeah. just hedonism. Hey, hey, for, for for your own well-being, Doc. I don't know that you want to call out the Swifties. That is a that's a danger. Yeah, you, you, you saw that she's Times Person of the Year, by the way, this year, which is which everybody's wow. talking about. I love music. I I I just I worry that now that flight is so easy and cheap that we are maybe overusing it a bit at this point. And I, I just want to point out that. Yeah, this this is a really good cause. Yeah, um, I, I want to I want to just note that, and, and I I agree with you hundred percent. And and a lot of times you can't people say, well, why doesn't everybody just do it on Zoom? Number one, it's a it's a it's a cynical, unrealistic convers you know suggestion. Nobody actually believes uh, that that's the right way to do it. And and second of all, so many things happen. Like we are here at Real Talk. There's a reason why we built a studio way bigger and way nicer than we needed it. It's because we believe in people mingling and getting together. We believe that special things happen when people. People shake hands and rub shoulders and talk to one another and brainstorm in the same space. Um, I, I want to recognize that we're only with Sean for, for a few more minutes, uh, and we're grateful, Sean, that you've stepped out of a commitment in Norway to talk to us. I want to pop back to you for a quick second. Uh, you, you passed along some photos. I'll say this for the benefit of the people listening on the podcast. You, you showed us two photos, one of them with our guest from yesterday, the Federal Environment and Climate Change Minister, the Honorable Stephen Gilbo, uh, and the other with our guest from a few weeks ago, uh, Daniel Smith, the Premier of Alberta, the two of them. Them, uh, on policy, probably polar opposites. I mean, they famously do not get along, but they do share some objectives. How would you characterize your interactions with both of them? Yeah, I, I, it's so interesting. At the end of the day, everybody wants the same thing. We want a healthy, thriving economy. We want to get rid of the emissions and the associated impact on climate change. And they both talk about those things often. And the dynamic that they're 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 sort of polar opposite. I find it really interesting, particularly for us, we're doing waste energy with carbon capture is the feature for us. Uh, the f- first flagship environmental policy that the federal government and provincial government have aligned on is carbon capture. There's a 50% tax credit from the federal government and a 12% tax credit from the provincial government announced the week before COP. And so in terms of alignment, uh, both of them are putting their money where their mouth is. And you're at a moment in time now where Alberta has the greatest fundamentals for carbon capture on earth, in my opinion. Biggest CO2 pipeline in the world, number two biggest CO2 pipeline in the world, 62% off carbon capture starting next year. And so in terms of actual action, they seem like they're, uh, there's alignment there in a way that uh, uh, doesn't necessarily get reported. Even the methane rules, the sort of federal and provincial methane rules smell pretty similar to one another. Um, and so again, overall dynamic, everyone's supportive. Everyone wants to see progress. Everyone wants to see action. Everyone wants to see investment. Everyone wants to see job creation. Everyone wants to see reductions. Uh, and so the, people also want to position themselves and posture themselves in certain ways externally, but from an action perspective, uh, there's not as much room as one would think. Okay, Sean, I'll ask you this and then we'll let you get back to, to where you're at. Uh, people can check out your website, varma.ca, and we'll link to it in the show notes uh, for anybody that wants to check it out. Uh, but but you have a, a segment, you know, a session about <laughs> Varma. You talk about what it means to go landfill free and carbon free, which sounds pretty appealing for anybody that understands that we have some heavy lifting to do on this front. But you have a segment on the website that says why Alberta and we've been talking a lot and musing about and I've seen it in the chat as well a lot over the past week or so people at cop to tell Alberta's story and that will mean different things to different people that's for sure what is the Alberta story that you were there to tell for me this the story that we are have been and will continue to be absolute world leaders on all of this 
Uh, I grew up in Fort McMurray. Uh, Fort McMurray Oil Sands is the largest industrial project ever built by humans on Earth. Uh, the, we have built the largest CO2 pipeline in the entire history of the world. The, the Alberta story for me to share is that, uh, again, even helped name this panel that I was on, Alberta's Royal Flush on Global Decarbonization. The story for me to tell is we have been dealt a Royal Flush and feels like sometimes we're happy to play just the four aces or just the flush or just the straight. Uh, really for me, uh, carrying the message, we kind of were blessed with the best of everything. One of the largest oil reserves in the world, uh, some of the best decarbonization fundamentals. We, Dan Balaban and gang built the biggest wind and the biggest solar in the whole country. Uh, uh, to me, the narrative uh, we need to walk with is this is our game to win. We have been dealt the best hand you could be dealt, and we need to play all of our cards. We need to play all of the cards in our hands to to win ahead. Uh, it's not good enough for us just to win a couple of the hands. We we should be walking with a dominant position in the decades ahead. Okay, uh, that's Sean Collins. We appreciate this. Uh, I wanted to let you know it is a small world. Real talker Michael has messaged in simply to say that they're going to miss you at poker tonight, Sean. So I, <laughs> I, I guess there's some friends that are tuned in today uh, to watch you checking in live from Norway. Thanks for doing this. Awesome. I hope one of them gets dealt the Royal Flush tonight. Okay, there you go. I love it. The metaphor into real life. That's uh, Sean Collins, the CEO of Varma Energy that's joining us from Norway. Uh, we're going to be back to Dr. Joe Vipon, Sharon Morin joining us in studio as well in just a quick second. I want to ask Dr. Joe, I've, I've asked you, you you told us about your uh, interaction with Alberta's Premier. I'm curious to know if Dr. Joe ran into her or other Western Premiers. I know Scott Moe was there. We'll ask him that in just a quick second. But first, uh, let me remind you that our friends at Friesen Brothers have some seasonal produce in right now that you're not going to want to miss. Hey, Sharon, are you are you into oranges, by the way? I love oranges. Have you ever tried a Satsuma orange? No. You see this beautiful, this isn't just table dressing. You want to try, are you, you want to try an orange right now? Even got like a It's got the, they've got the leaves the on them leaves. and everything. Johnny and I were like raving about these yesterday. So check them out. They peel like super easy. And they're not like these lousy oranges that, you know, like the oranges back in the day were so fabulous. Yeah. And then now they feel like they're tiny and they don't peel very well. The, the peeling, look at how quickly she's, you know, look at this, right? And they taste like water. And they taste, yeah, they barely taste like anything. And that's like, even if they're not shriveled up and wrinkled by the time you get them home. So I want you to be honest, like to have a bite of this. And if it sucks... Tell the audience it sucks. You just tell me. I'm not going to. You just. And this is Friesen's? This is from Friesen Brothers. What do you think of the Satsuma? Oh, my gosh. Right? Holy right? Sh Holy shit. Holy shit. The studio audience loves it, too. The, the um, set. They're so good. Mm -hmm. And you know what you can do is you can even kill your mic if you want to just, like, crush that thing while I remind everybody <laughs> that Friesen Brothers has these amazing Satsuma oranges, but they're only available in the month of December. Because if you try to bring them in at other times of the year, they suck. They're not good. And Friesen Brothers is all about the produce not sucking. That's not their official tagline. That's the one that we're just cooking up right now for them. You can find Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown, Alberta owned in 16 different Alberta communities. We get to rock and roll with uh, Dr. Joe Vipon, who stepped out of a big meeting, and we sure appreciate it. He's joining us live from COP28 uh, in Dubai. Doc, did you have a, did you have a chance uh, when you were over there uh, to... to, to to, to chat with or did you have a chance to cross paths with any of the, the you know senior political representatives I'm talking about the first ministers did you see Daniel Smith or Scott Moe when you were there uh, I, I did see both of them at various sessions I did ask one question which you can find online if you want to see uh, our interaction there um, it didn't go over very well she's very very slick I'll, I'll give her that mm -hmm. like um, when I challenged her on the fact that all of the the uh, energy projects that the indigenous uh, peoples were were involved in were all fossil fuel uh, projects. You know, she 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 gives a a good answer, but it, it's not the right answer. The right answer is we should be transitioning away from fossil fuels, and 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 it is very painful to to go to a climate conference and understand that her and Scott Moe's main object, uh, objectives are to slow down the transition rather than speed it up. And that was evident throughout. I mean, the, the, the hardest part for me was when the new methane rules were announced and she had kind of a, uh, what she kind of went nuclear on it saying that this is, you know, we're going to challenge this in court and this is horrible. It's the exact same objective that the UCP have in their April 2021 election platform. So, or sorry, April 2023, 22, like, 23, like yeah. six months ago. Yeah. So 
I, I don't understand it. She could she could have arrived here and she could have embraced some element of yes, we can do better, but but there was none of that. And in fact, a couple of days ago, Alberta, thanks to Daniel Smith, was awarded fossil of the day, which is rarely given to a subnational organ um, jurisdiction. Like, uh, but it was, and, and a lot of that was because of the the. Uh, advertising campaign saying that, uh, you know, the, the lights are going to go off if we have a clean electricity regulations and, and of course, the renewables moratorium. So um, that we have not been a good, honest player in this space. Did you sit on the um, in the in the audience where her and Scott Moe did their their panel together? No, I sure did. Yes. Yeah, because of that one there. Um, again, that one young youth from Saskatchewan was in that audience and was not allowed to answer the question, but the moderator looked directly at her and told her how much Daniel Smith and Scott Moe has done for Indigenous people when it comes to employment in the energy sector. Yeah, it's, it's a very difficult space, right? Mm -hmm. Because we understand that uh, due to colonialism, the Indigenous peoples have not had the opportunities, the economic opportunities that, that the colonials have had. Um, and that we need to change that and improve that relationship and give them the economic opportunities. Honestly, um, but when, it when, doesn't have to be all about fossil fuels. No, it doesn't because we are the, we we were the, we're the, the we're the stewards of the land. We've been the stewards of the land before anybody even came here. We knew how to manage this land. But I, I when she's when I because I met her at the hotel um, the day that that happened. I was leaving. And um, she came in and she was right upset. And, you know, and I'll just say this really bluntly because it's real talk. I said, so did you look at them and say, that's mighty white of you? Because it's just so insulting that they sit there and say that they do this stuff and they're helping Indigenous people while they're killing the land that we so care for. Yeah. Is it, I want to ask this in the form of a question, but I mean, like I've, I've done many interviews um, typically with like chiefs or representatives of, of you know, conglomerates that will come together to to sort of pave the way, so to speak, for for indigenous ownership in many circumstances, majority ownership mm -hmm. of energy projects. And as you well know, there are indigenous leaders, including in Alberta right now, that are mm -hmm. very bullish about investing in fossil fuels, investing in pipelines, investing in oil and gas and having those opportunities. And then, of course, there are many that would be very keen, I, I'm sure, to pour tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into renewable projects. And, and that would be the case as well. Is it fair to say that there's not one, and Sharon's looking at me, Sharon's giving me a look like, oh, what are you about to ask? But there's not one collective shared perspective on, on what that looks like on indigenous ownership in energy projects, right? Fair to say? No, that's very fair to say. Um, and I'm glad that they all are up there and making those decisions. And I really... When I do my work and when I go there, I'm representing the people, the grassroots people. Yeah. I'm, there is leadership involved, but I'm there thinking of the women and the, the people from the 2SLGBTQ community that work with us that are on the land and are impacted by it daily. The missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and boys that, you know, because of the man camps that go in there. Those are the people that I think of. Mm. I don't think of the money. I don't think of the big things. I think of the people that I'm at. I'm involved with and are close to us and close to me. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Dr. Vipon, so what, Ryan, what, yeah, go ahead. If I may just follow up on that. So when we think about investing in new fossil fuel projects, as you probably recall from the summer, things are getting very, very dangerous from a climate perspective, right? Like the acceleration of the destabilization of the climate is going so fast and it, it is so worrisome. And these investments are valued over 20, 30, 40, 50 year timelines and based on the reserves that are in the ground. And we know that the reserves in the ground are much higher than what we can safely burn and still keep a stable climate. So that means there's one of two things that's going to happen. Either governments are actually going to come to their um, to, to some kind of agreement that we can't do that, in which case those reserves are all overvalued and this is a bad investment or civilization collapses and we won't burn those fuels anyways because we won't have markets and systems to burn them. So I don't see a future where these are safe and excellent investment opportunities for either our indigenous peoples or the regular Ryans and Joes. 
I know, that, and, and like I respect that perspective, and then you also know that there's no way that a premier could ever say that, right? Like, you're, like I know that makes you want to bang your head against the wall, for sure. Uh, because people are, but there are so many, there are so many other great things we could be doing. We could be accelerating our solar and wind. We could be saying, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to build interconnections to BC so that, um, so that we have, um, uh, a battery next door, like the, all of the hydroelectric dams in BC are batteries. So we overbuild our solar and wind and we overbuild their, their hydro. And then together we have this net zero Western Canadian electricity grid. We could say, we're going to celebrate the reduction of methane. We're going to have a functional phase out of fossil fuels so that we you know, celebrate the fact that it has given us so much prosperity, but understand that we can't continue on this way. There are ways of dealing with reality that don't involve pretending what we're doing is safe for us. And then on, and then, well, and then she was just on the panel that I sat in, she was just talking about, yeah, you want wind power, but then all this stuff to build it isn't net zero, the cement, the fiberglass, like, so she was like, like saying you want that, but nothing to build it is net zero, so why is the point of building it? Yeah, it was a very denigrating it, of wind and solar. I mean, if, if that's an accurate representation, I don't think that's a good faith argument. No, I, I no, I didn't either. Yeah. And then she talked about like the reclamation for the solar panels. And I said, I wanted to say, well, what about all these orphan wells that's, mm -hmm. you know? And that, I mean, that's the, that's the position that the government's taken on this, I think, is with their moratorium on wind and solar, which I was talking, I commented on this yesterday, Doc. It's like, it's, 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 a, it's a real... Like it's a, a quandary. It's a tough position for Alberta to be in. If people are aware, I know not everybody at COP is paying super close attention to everything that's happening in Alberta politics like we do on this show. But if you know that Alberta is currently under a government imposed seven month long moratorium on renewable expansion, and then you're also listening to that same government saying that it's a great place to invest in renewables, then you're, you're going to have a hard time swallowing that information without laughing it up. So I, I, I will say that when right? I, I mean, say I'm from Alberta there are people say oh I'm sorry yeah but I hope that there's good be like but but also what's the point of this roundtable you are from Alberta that's the three right. of you are from Alberta yeah. and that's why I I was taking I was kind of bristling when 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 critics of some of the things that they were hearing on this show over the past while were saying we're saying I, I'm going what's wrong with having more and more people there to tell Alberta's story and they're going oh yeah but what's Alberta's story if Alberta's story is is climate denial isn't then then no. that's not the story we it's want Joe that Vipon, it's Joe Vipon and Sharon yeah. Warren and Sean Collins yes, exactly. and, and, and there's other people there as well um Dr. Joe we want to let you get back to your reception so let me just ask you this in closing like you, you've brought so much valuable insight to the table today and we appreciate it is there one i'm sure there's multiple outcomes but is there one that you're really hoping comes out of cop 28 so every cop there seems to be one theme that people are hoping comes out of it and so like last year it was loss and damage we wanted to have a loss and damage fund for uh southern um countries that have uh, impacts that, that aren't covered by normal things. So that was a success. This year, it's about um, getting off of fossil fuels. And so what's really going to matter is the language. I think we're going to see some kind of language in there about either phased out or phased down uh, of uh, unabated fossil fuels. And if I had to be a, a betting person, it would be we are going to phase down unabated fossil fuels. And the unabated part just means that allowing CCS or CCUS, that carbon capture and storage, to play a role in that energy transition. So stay tuned. That's my prediction. I love it. That's Dr. Joe Vipond. He, uh, he's an emergency doc out of Calgary. Um, he's a co-founder of uh, Calgary Climate Hub, and you can find him online. He uh, does an incredible job, as a matter of fact, with public information, health information, uh, did uh, heavy lifting uh, through the pandemic and uh, beyond uh, at Jay Vipond MP. He's been joining us live from Dubai. Get back to that reception, man. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Ryan yeah, and Sharon. You, you bet. And, and yeah, Hi. Sharon Morin, of course, joining us in studio. Super cool for you to be here. You know, and when, when you come back, let, let me ask you the same question now that you're um, if you're like me, you know, you get back and then you're going to probably start doing things like getting your laundry. And, and well, if you're like me, you'll leave your suitcase packed for another three weeks. I'm, I'm like you. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> what, but you start to sort of like reflect on being there. Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes, like for me, I have a hard time after I've been somewhere really cool or somewhere really impactful. And then I return home. There's kind of like 
I don't want to say depression to to, to make light of people no. that have actual depression, but like you feel like there's you're, you're bummed out. You're bummed out. You're not there anymore. Uh, or sometimes you're super inspired. <laughs> what are you feeling? I'm happy to be home. Yeah, it's very Dubai is a, it's very surreal there. There's when you consider. It's only like 60 years old, right? Yeah, well, most of us have never been there. So no, take- it's only 60 years old. We come from, like, and our history is not old here either, like building history, right? Yes. But there's there's no sense of place there, I found. Um, it's very opulent. Everybody, except for the, the, the people that, like, that are born there, everybody is from someplace else. And there's a lot of people there that I found, and they're younger people that are away from their families. So there was this young, the young guy that looked after my room, his name was Sultan. And he looked like he was 15, like he was really young looking. And the day that um, I was leaving, uh, he left a note. And we'd had a couple of conversations. He left a note in my room, and he said... um, he said, Your, our conversation today, you said you had four boys. Please consider one more. Oh. Love you, Mother Sharon. Wow. And I was like, wow. You know, like just being nice to somebody for a few days and talking to them. That's the impact. And I felt bad for him because he, like, he doesn't have his family there. His family's in India. Mm. You know, the, the gentleman that drove us to, um, to the hotel before we went to the airport the other night. And he's from Kashmir. And he's running an independent cab there because he can't get proper pay over there. And it's hard to do anything independent there. Mm. And his father died uh, last year. So all the money that he makes goes back to his family in Kashmir. We talked to Minister Gabo about this yesterday. I just I asked him, like, if, if, if this cop had a different feel. And, and it's sort of a rhetorical question, I think, because obviously it mm-hmm. does, being hosted by an oil-rich nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, of course, it will attract uh, different delegates or maybe a different feel. And, and um, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I land somewhere in the middle of, like, you know, the world requires fossil fuels right now. The world has the knowledge and understanding we need to get off fossil mm-hmm. fuels. Here we are now. Where do we need to be? You know, I mean, like, I try to sort of, I'm kind of there too. From a reasonable, you know, middle not middle of the road in the sense that that's a bad thing, but like all things considered, I'm not going to buy a horse. Kind of perspective, you know, I'm not going to buy a horse, (laughs) but 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 I I don't know that I would ever buy another uh, internal combustion engine powered vehicle. Like I like my next vehicle will probably be electric. But I'm on the fence with those batteries. Yeah, well, sure, and and I mean, you know, on on one hand, you know, you have people talking about how they, and I have many friends, so do most people that have integrated EVs into their life. Um, and, and, and are, it's going swimmingly. And then I talk to other buddies that work out on job sites or they're up in, uh, you know, the far North or, you know, I, heck, I was talking to Kelly, the founder of complete care restoration, one of our sponsors yeah. the other day, he's telling me they have crews right now that are, that are rebuilding dozens of homes on, on a first in a first nations community mm-hmm. that was just demolished by wildfire. Mm. And they're bringing their trucks in every morning. They're bringing their trucks and equipment in by barge and, um, and complete care has overhauled a whole bunch of their fleet with EVs, but I go, let me guess, <laughs> you don't yeah. have EVs out on that job. No. So he goes, no, of course not. No. He says, we, we're, we're all diesel all the yeah. time out there. So so there's like, you know, there's things to be considered. Well, and for me, it's the idea of mining for the lithium. I yeah. mean, they want to start mining in, underneath, in the ocean. Yeah. Like, why do we have to do that? I mean, I guess we've been drilling in the ocean. I mean, I'm not trying to I know, justify but, it. But, but why do we need to expand on that? Sure. You know? And so, you know, you wonder if, to bring it back to my thought about Minister Gabot and, and, and the UN choosing the location mm-hmm. and COP 28 being in Dubai, you almost wonder, like, would it maybe be a little bit more effective if, if, if COP was being hosted, you know, up by the melting polar ice caps or if COP was being hosted in a, in a, in a developing I was nation in, well, where there I was, was in evidence Egypt last you know, year, right? I was in Sharm el Sheikh last sure. year and like black and white, like what a difference. Yeah. I mean, it should be hosted somewhere where the reality of climate change is slapping people in the yeah. face. They're hoping South America next year. Yeah. 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 Go host it, you know, in, in Brazil on yeah. some of the acres where the, where the well, forest and he has was been there, right? Out, Luna right? was there and yeah. uh, his people, the people, the Brazilian people really support him. Yeah. The ones that I spoke to. Fascinating was, politics happening in Brazil oh, right oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is a, a stunning country, by the way. I spent mm-hmm. a, a good part of my 
post university year down in mm. Brazil. That was our big trip. Me and the me and the fellas headed down to South America, and, nice. and, and what we saw down there was you know you're, you you fall in love with a nation, and and you also recognize some of the very real challenges yeah. in, in a beautiful country like Brazil. Yeah. Um, you you want to hang out while I do flamethrower? I so want to hang should, out. We should have like we need to have like a spit screen right here, so <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll aim at the camera so I don't get you. Uh, we got a good up one. At home, so oh I'm my ready. gosh, that 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 tradition is coming up in just a quick second. But first, um, to to those of you, especially probably members of our younger audience that have uh, caught this episode because you want to be inspired, you want your perspective represented in the world that lies ahead. If you dream of leading teams and making a real impact in the world, maybe you want an education that leads to a fulfilling career in many thriving and growing industries, Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business could very well be your answer. As one of Canada's leading polytechnic business educators, they'll harness your inner talent, build your skills, feed your curiosity and your future will be brighter because of their immersive style of learning and deep relationships with industry. Graduate with the in-demand skills that future employers are looking for. You have talent, they have connections. You have drive, they have direction. You have purpose, they can apply it. Get down to business today with Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business at nate.ca slash business. For those of you that are envisioning already next summer it's going to be a 50th anniversary celebration maybe it's going to be your kids grade 12 graduation maybe it's your 20th wedding anniversary who knows what it is you're hosting friends and loved ones in the backyard but it's just not ready you need a new patio scape an outdoor kitchen you'd love to have a water feature maybe you just need sod new grass that looks better than what it looks like right now we wholeheartedly recommend mike and the team at Eden Landscaping that they bring your outdoor space to life. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. See what they can do, but more importantly, make contact and get that conversation started. The design process is where you'll see them shine because they're great listeners. Again, you'll find Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. You ready to rock, Johnny Infamous? You ready to do this? I'm ready to go. Friday. It's Friday. And every Friday, courtesy of our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, that's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, we invite you to bring the heat. We're looking for your hot takes. We want to hear it. What's pissing you off? It's the Flamethrower. Presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, we got this one from Tom L., who Tom wonders, why is the Alberta Premier and the UCP going to this climate change conference, COP28, when they deny climate change? I know for a fact that there are Governor of Alberta employees whose job it is to remove any mention of climate change from any official documents and or policies, and I find it very hypocritical that nobody is calling out the Alberta Premier and the UCP on this. I mean, everybody's calling them out, Tom, but we'll take your point. What about this one from Cheryl, who says, Ryan, you have always managed to walk the nonpartisan line. I don't know about that. She says, right up until Monday's show, when you talk to Charles Adler, you refuse to acknowledge his point about Danielle Smith at COP, that your dear friend Danny once again lied or skewed facts to her benefit. Cheryl says, I guess I can give you credit for loyalty. You get the award for what has saddened me most in Alberta today. But then again, it's still early. That from Cheryl. Cheryl, I'm not trying to make anybody sad. I just think that sometimes Adler is, well, a little disingenuous in the hand grenades that he's lobbing. But hey, if we're not here to talk about it, if you're not holding my feet to the fire, then what's the point? So thanks for your email. How about this one from Michael, who says, Jess, well, I've been listening for a while to Real Talk. Thanks, Michael. He says, I can't believe how ignorant people can be to write off or troll you for some of the perspectives that you welcome to your show. Recently, Ariella Kimmel and Kristen Rayworth were talking about Me Too, unless you're a Jew. What about Dr. Timothy Caulfield, who was coming on here, bringing his heat, providing extremely balanced views on subject matter, but to say that they're one-sided or biased, like I see people saying on Twitter, is ridiculously obtuse, says Michael. These people may be providing inconvenient truths to some listeners that don't want to hear anything outside their own echo chambers, which is sad in itself. Please keep doing what you're doing. Michael, I promise we will. He says, now, full disclosure, I'm a conservative. I'm not a left-leaning wingnut, but the perspectives on your show give me a what I feel a more well-rounded approach to my worldview. 
Mwah! Michael, I love it. He says, thanks again for all you do. And God, I hope Trump doesn't win in 2024 because I just feel that'll seep up into our politics, which I find is like extreme light at the moment <laughs> from Michael. And this one from Angela, who's following up on a flamethrower submission from a while ago that took aim at Westlock Town Council for voting on eliminating the pride flag, the pride cross rocks. You know what I'm talking about. And Angela says, hey, first of all, Thanks for everything that Real Talk does to keep us informed on things that have a huge impact on our daily lives, Angela. You're welcome on behalf of our team. Says, I just listened to that Real Talker Justin absolutely scorch Westlock Town Council on the Friday's flamethrower, but they don't deserve it. Like, yeah, they're holding a public vote on a neutrality bylaw in February, but they did not initiate this action. There's this obscure rule in the Municipal Government Act, the MGA, that allows residents to submit a petition signed by more than 10% of the town's population requesting that council pass this proposed bylaw. And as such, council is legally obligated to either pass the bylaw or to hold a vote. And so they chose to conduct a vote. This is how this whole sad and distasteful situation came to be. Now, if the February vote results don't support the bylaw, then council won't pass it. Therefore, it's ultimately up to the residents of Westlock to use their democratic right to determine if this bylaw is good for their community or not. And it's obviously not. She says, so instead of angrily roasting town council, Justin should spend his time and energy more wisely making sure that his fellow residents fully understand the implications of the bylaw and encouraging to make their voices heard by way of the ballot box. What a submission from from Angela, you can send us your flamethrower seven days a week, 24 hours a day to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It is proudly presented by our friends at the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You have yourselves a fabulous weekend. We'll be right back here Monday morning. We thank you in advance for joining us. Have a great weekend. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Terry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.